Another day, another soup I haven't tried. Yes, we know. You were a sheltered child. Yes, but this time I put my digestion on the line by trying a clam chowder bread bowl. I'm lactose intolerant. You just told me that you're also lactose intolerant. Part of why I was late is because I had to stop and get lactate. Would you like some lactate? (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. This week, we're talking with Supervisor Connie Chan. Chan represents District 1, a west side district that includes the inner and outer Richmond, Seacliff, Sutro Heights, and Lone Mountain neighborhoods. Chan weighs in on government efficiency, the budget, and San Francisco's economy. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. I know, clam chowder in a bread bowl. Seems almost too San Francisco-themed. Turns out, that's exactly why Supervisor Chan picked it. I came to San Francisco when I was 13. I was born in Hong Kong, you know, in Asia. So when I came here when I was 13, it's like my family, like, you must have this thing called clam chowder. And not only that, they have it in a bread bowl. And when I had this thing, and I was like, this is the best thing since slice of bread. How amazing you can have soup in this bread bowl. Amazing. But also, you know, Chinese soup or Asian soup, it's always chicken broth, but it's never like cream soup. Like, is it soup or is it sauce? Like, I was kind of confused. <laughs> so it was awesome. It's the best of both worlds. Mm. If you love here, you should at least have one bowl. Mm-hmm. One bowl. You don't have to love it, but you should at least give it a try. All right, I can check that off my bucket list then. Yep, there you go. I just saw your little sign that says, I'll be nicer if you'll be smart. <laughs> All city departments come through, and then you should see that sign. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how would you rate the state of the city right now? Like if you were to give it a grade from F to A, what grade would you give the city? A as like excellent. Yeah. And F it's like we're failing. Yeah. Yeah. I say C, C plus, you know, average. I don't think that we're at our worst. We definitely, I also don't think that we're at our best and I say that it's like all around both the state of the city in terms of street condition or even like culture or even people I think that we all can do better Mm -hmm. see great many of Chan's colleagues have given a similar score they also pointed out it's a hard time for the city to score well because it's facing economic tough times lots of people have told us it's going to take a lot of compromise to figure out what to cut I wanted to know if there's anything Chan is particularly worried might get cut. Look, I think that like, if you think about me giving the city a C grade, it's actually not too bad. You know, we just, we're facing a unprecedented public health crisis. I think that the city has been and continues to be very resilient and it has shown itself to be and it still have a lot of potential for a great comeback. I don't think it's to anybody's surprise that we, we are facing the type of deficits that we're facing. Of course, everybody's like, why aren't we recovering like everywhere else? While that may be true, I also think that it's because it's exposing sort of the deficits that we've been experiencing as a city before the pandemic, that we've been too reliant on one sector, business sector. And so when we think about this deficit and where to cut, I think it's actually a moment to really rethink about our values and, and, and what do we want to do and where do we go from here? What I'm hearing you say is let's do something different. Is there anything that you're, that you're going to fiercely protect? Like what is, 
we're making cuts from something. Mm -hmm. What are you worried is going to be on the chopping block? Well, I mean, things like we know that CalFresh stopped their benefits, emergency benefits. Yep. Uh, for San Francisco specifically, that's 80,000 households, roughly about 90,000 individuals. And that loss of benefits can vary between $50 per household to up to $500 per household, depending on how many people within that household. So that's like a huge thing that has been on the back of my mind, knowing that it ended literally like yesterday at the end of February. CalFresh is California's food stamp program. Some 5 million people are enrolled in it. A congressional spending bill ended emergency funding that allowed states, including California, to increase food benefits during the pandemic. The state managed to get another emergency allotment out the door in March, but the huge drop in benefits Chan mentions did take effect in April. So where do we go from here on, on out to feed our most vulnerable, to house our most vulnerable? You know, part of solving homelessness is to prevent it from happening at first place. So it's part of, it's just as critical to keep people housed and keep them, you know, sheltered and keep them fed, as well as solving the situation on our streets already. Right it seems now. like you're pretty much on the same page with at least HSH on that. What about, you know, coming to an agreement with other members of the board and especially also with the mayor about what needs to stay and what needs to go? I think that there's going to be probably disagreements about that and that could make it difficult to figure out targeted cuts. You know, I think instead of talking about cuts, right, like I'm also thinking about how do we make our existing budget and existing dollars actually could go further? Yeah. and do more. You know, we talk about a $14 billion budget. Roughly about $6 billion is what we call a general fund. What are the general fund departments? There are your police departments, your fire departments, your recreation and park department. These are what we call a general fund department. It's about roughly $6 billion of it, out of which, you know, we know that a lot of it is going to public health and public safety. Those are our core city services that we ought to provide. And I am not suggesting that a significant cuts to those because they're critical. They're core services that the city government, for the very least, need to provide safe and clean streets. And that's what we need to do. Can we do better, though? Can we do better with what we already have and with the existing dollars and be more efficient? I think for me, that is actually half of the entire solution to actually problem solve and bridge this $728 million of budget deficit in the next two fiscal years. Yeah, I think that a lot of people hearing that would push back and say, well, the city is failing to provide That's clean right. and safe streets. And I think that there is disagreement about what it's going to take to fix that. I've heard from a number of your colleagues, for example, that we need to better resource the police department yeah. for that public safety element since sure. the police department has not been able to fill hundreds of vacant positions. Well, look, I mean, the police departments, and it, according to the independent studies, say about, you know, we need 2,100 estimates officers for the entire police force. We're now roughly about 1,800 on the force that can perform, you know, full duty. Even with that said, though, so is everyone else. Like, we're short on nurses. <laughs> we're short on firefighters. We're short on 911 dispatchers. We're short on street cleaners. So 
staff shortage is a phenomenon all across city departments and city services. So if you only fill up one city department, when we talk about public safety, it's not just police, right? It's like 911 dispatcher, police officers, EMT, firefighters sometimes, and do the transporting, especially if there's victim of crime of shooting or any type. And then there's emergency room that our nurses and doctors have to be on site. Like there's so many other departments within the law enforcement. Just so many actually are involved in this big conversation about what does it take to keep a city safe. I think you're making a good point about how the need is so widespread and there are many different needs. But in a situation where we're talking about cutting, there's going to be disagreements about what the top priority is. How do you come to an agreement with 10 other people and the mayor about what it is that's going to actually get cut and what gets resourced? How do you come to an agreement, if I may say, is that we need to share the same sets of facts and data. Mm. And so I think that's where I look to. Um, and we don't currently? I don't think we do currently. I think I, that's why I look to the controller and as well as our budget and legislative analyst mm. to give us sort of like a big picture about what the state of our budget really is. And then with those same sets of facts that we all can agree on and educate ourselves on, because this is really early on of a budget process. Once we come to an agreement on that, now that is like, well, mayor, tell us what is your approach to problem solve, right? That is how the process works. And the mayor will propose her budget in June. And then here comes the conversation and see how she is allocating her fund. And can we align as much as we can and agree as much as we can and on the things that we don't agree on, how do we come to negotiation? So right now, that would be a process that I I would suggest that we focus on. You wrote about holding a series of public hearings on city department's performance and just like, you know, how they're doing in terms of overspending. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and how you'll make them like stop doing that once you've identified it? <laughs> well, I mean, so overspending is actually very technical. Like, for example, the police department's clearly overspending. And the reason why is because they're coming back for a supplemental. Last budget was 10 to 1, you know, 10 in agreement and one, you know, in dissent. And then the the mayor signed and put a little dotted line and the controller certified that budget to say, hey, you all should be able to spend within what is budgeted for the operation that you have committed. Now, technically, when you're overspending is when you come back in the middle of the fiscal year and say, oops, sorry, we spent all the money we have. We're about to run out. Please help us and give us more money. So that is what's happening with the police department. And I think that we need to have a very clear role about who we are as a legislative branch. We are not, you know, the executive branch. And we, in fact, by charter, is limited to interfere, you know, executive branch operation, day-to-day operation. You probably don't want all 11 of us trying to interfere day-to-day operation of a city government. That would actually be fascinating. Have the board just, like, take over the chief's job for a day and see what happens. Oh, my goodness. You know? (laughs) Um, don't tell some of my colleagues that because they may have that. They, they'd love they, now to. you're putting now you're putting some ideas in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd be like, um, sign me up. I know. Oh, and 2024, here they come. The city is in this budget crunch in large part because of how the pandemic damaged our economy. Chan says we have to adapt to a new reality. We'll hear how she thinks we can do that after a break. Before we go, a reminder that we want to hear from you. We'd like you to have a voice on this podcast too. 
Do you have a solution that you want the city to pursue or know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send a voice memo or write an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. Laura and I have been talking with District 1 Supervisor Connie Chan. Chan has said that the city needs to diversify its economy and has needed to do so for a long time. Even before the pandemic, we've had vacant storefronts on commercial corridors, and now things have really changed. Office workers are not coming back, and downtown office space is not at the premium it once was. I asked, so what do we do as a city? We adapt. How? We adapt. How? Like, we adapt in a sense where we always have as a city, when we always pride ourselves like the city that know how, is because we're willing to adapt instead of trying to, like, you know, stick to the old ways. I, I think there were opportunities lost, to be frank, in the last, like, six to eight months that there's the thinking, like, we just need to push workers back to downtown. If we actually understood it, that, like, it wasn't going to happen. Back. Because, like... We need to move forward. The technology has arrived. Like, you know, you cannot hand people the technology of Zoom and remote work and then you think you can just take it back. It doesn't. Like, but what we should have done is to say, hey, the technology is here. People are utilizing it. How do we make it better? How do we adapt it and absorb it and move forward to say, what can we do with these spaces? I know that we talk about converting housing because that's what we need. Sure, but... What about the things that we didn't know that we need? Meaning arts and cultures and things that really make San Francisco a vibrant city that it actually always has been. So let's lean into our strength about our uniqueness and how do we bring people together to be creative about using those spaces, perhaps free up those conditional use restriction, you know, certain permitting restriction to use those spaces, both in a temporary terms and the long term. Sorry, remove those restrictions? Removing those restrictions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to say, hey, you know, what can we do with these spaces if it's, you know, allowing us to imagine. Now, I think what also was a missed opportunity is to realize that, like, you know, it's not just business. I think it's beyond like your corporation and big business, small business, young people, young entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs can and artists and musicians and entertainers can actually all contribute to different ideas. And I think what we have limited is to the old ways because we want the old downtown back. So we only ask the people like that been occupying that space for their thoughts and opinions. And of course, they're going to go back to the way they want to go back to the way it was. And they want downtown to look different. They want the streets to be cleaner. They want less crime. They want less homeless people. That actually is the entire city, though. Yeah. It's not just downtown. Like, everybody wants the same thing. And and so the question is not about how, well, part of E's question is, like, how the city can continue to provide its core services. But I think it's more importantly, it's like, I want to say I'm so proud of, like, Clement Street's. If you look at Columbia Streets, yes, we have some, you know, business shuttered, but we also have new business, small new business that come up. And if you walk on Clement and you, if you really think about different neighborhood commercial corridors is how diverse they are. And I think that is the same way that I think of downtown, that it is a new downtown that is not just financial or just tech perhaps those things still continue to exist or, or not just luxury brand retail, but I think you can start mixing them up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you bring up something that I've also been asking everybody, which is 
your constituents are concentrated in a certain area, but you legislate for the whole city. Yeah. How do you balance those interests? I say that, like, when it comes to a district supervisor, a mark of a good district supervisor is to serve the constituents well on the constituents' need. It's the garbage being picked up. <laughs> it's, it's the street cleaners coming in in a regular basis. For Chan, a citywide lens is appropriate for things like crime. Every part of the city has public safety concerns, but the Richmond doesn't exactly top the chart on crime rates. And so you know that when you look at allocation of police officers, you probably are not going to allocate officers the highest number in Richmond appropriately. So, and so I think that is how I see it. And I'm not going to say, oh, I need more than everyone else. I think as a district supervisor is what is appropriate and into proportion of the needs of my district. I think that's how we balance it. I just want you to expand on something that has been in the news, which is you have called for sort of ramping up regional partnerships on homelessness. Yeah. You know, if somebody is in line for, say, housing, they might be served faster if they're open to the idea of taking a unit, say, in Hayward rather than in San Francisco, where it's expensive and in short supply. This is something that already happens to some degree. So I don't want to make it sound like crazy, but it does at first blush sound a little bit like asking people to leave town. Is it not that? No, because actually what I'm trying to suggest is this, that to have a regional approach because of the things that we have learned from pandemic. San Francisco Bay Area has delivered successful results fighting against the pandemic. That's because from the beginning that our counties, nine counties, including especially our public health officers, got together in lockstep determining procedures and protocol to fight this public health crisis. And so that we can protect each other and keep each other safe because we understand the disease does not carry county boundaries. And so homelessness is a public health crisis. Then we should treat it as so to say, how do we gather our public health officers together to have be consistent on our strategy and on our approach and that we have to share approach and share strategies with that. We also come with shared resources like shelters, public health system, and then a system that we can track them together. So if someone has received certain help or have some and whatever it is that or lack of help in, in one county, and then when they travel to another and they capture into the system or they register into the system, we will have record of what was lack, is there any contact, what was the history, so we can actually help to better address them and, you know, take care of them. Sometimes people just need help. And then maybe it's just to say, where can I get, you know, an appointment for mental health service? Where can I get an appointment for shelter? or permanent housing. And in San Francisco, it's a place where they can actually access that information, but that's not necessarily their end stop. Then we should help them. And and I think that's like their call, right? Like they were saying, no, actually, I'm here to San Francisco because I want to be in San Francisco. I think that's a different conversation. But if people coming to San Francisco is just wanting help, I think we should be able to offer them and then be able to help them to find whatever help that there is in the area. As our time with Supervisor Chan ran out, we moved on to the lightning round of questions. We conducted a poll last year, and one of the questions that was asked was how well they think the Board of Supervisors is doing. About 12% of respondents said that the board is doing a good or excellent job. What is your reaction to that? We can do better. Okay. <laughs> it's lightning round, right? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't want to elaborate. <laughs> I mean, are you surprised? Uh, no, I, I think it's very normal. Like, you know, 
I just gave our state of the city C. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. Okay. What keeps you up at night? Well, last night, probably the CalFresh benefit. If you were kind of like all powerful queen well, of San Francisco oh, for a day, you could make anything happen. Uh, but not queen of San Francisco. That's like really okay. like crazy. Uh, Super mayor. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get me if, in if trouble. You could, if, yeah. like, uh, like, if you could snap your fingers and make, make anything happen in yeah. San Francisco, like what would you do? Yeah. You have magic powers. Make this $728 million deficit go away. What is a proposal or a policy that came from somebody that you generally politically disagree with, but that this policy you think was actually a good idea? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, how about just something that I agree with, but I have a lot of questions. Sure. sure. Yeah. Supervisor Mandelman's like shelter for all. I think I think that's like a really good legislation, like a really good idea and trying and good intention. But I just have a lot of questions about that. Thank all you right. so much well, for your you. time. Thank you both. That was District One Supervisor Connie Chan. Next week we'll hear another perspective on downtown's recovery from the person who represents that area. Matt Dorsey represents District Six. That's coming up next week. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. To get in touch, send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at sfnext. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. Coming up on SF Next Fixing Our City, District 6 Supervisor Matt Dorsey has a hopeful take on the future of downtown San Francisco. The former police spokesperson also has an ambitious goal for hiring more cops. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.